0: Welcome to Mommy Diary, the podcast. I'm your host, Angela Kim. I'm a creative, lifestyle blogger, and mom of four. This podcast is all about honest stories of motherhood and real conversations with real mothers just like you. Unlike my Instagram account, not everything will be beautiful. I promise to be vulnerable and share stories of all the struggles and the incredible moments we all share as women and mothers. So do me a favor and screenshot this episode, add it to your IG stories, then tag me at Mommy Diary. I'd love to feature you on my Insta stories. We're all in this together, mamas. Let's dive into the show. Hi guys, welcome to episode 4 of Mommy Diary the podcast. Today, we are talking all about raising a special needs child. So for those of you who are new on here, I have a special needs child named Elise. She is my oldest child. She's 15 years old. And it's something that I talk about a lot on my blog and my Instagram. Something that I feel very passionate about because I feel like stories like her are so important to spread because they are such beautiful souls who are here for a reason, who are here to teach us so many things about life in general. But before we go into that, Um, I know some of you guys may not relate, but I know there are some of you out there who has a child of various disability, whether it's minor, I should use the word mild or moderate or severe, um, just to really, you know, there's such a wide range of disability in children. Whether it's a minor speech delay or a major genetic disorder like my daughter, it's hard. It's hard for any parent and my goal with this episode is to give you a little bit about my background with her. Um, like what the journey looked like and just give you some insights to special needs parenting. And then at the end of this podcast, I will give you some practical tips to help you guys through this process. So to begin, I had a very normal pregnancy. I know a lot of people like ask, what, what did your pregnancy with her look like? It was a very normal pregnancy. I was very young in my early 20s. I wasn't, I don't think, in my best shape because, you know, I was in college. I was eating a lot of fast food. and But I don't think that's really the reason. But because of that, I had so much guilt when I discovered that she has special needs. I think the biggest question a mom wrestles with is, is it because of me? Did I do something wrong? And this question just bothered me. It was just there like haunting me for years, actually, even though, you know, I never spoke of it to anybody. And I don't think I even shared it with my husband because there was so much guilt and shame. But. Like I will discuss more um, later in detail, we took some time, like it took me almost four or five years to really get a clear diagnosis on what was wrong with her. So can you just imagine what type of guilt I held inside for the five years? And I know that it had a lot to do with um, my postpartum depression, which I talk about on episode two. But anyway, the pregnancy was normal. Um, I carried her full term. I was considered high risk because my fluid level was low. And looking back, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But at the time I wasn't, I don't think I even took it seriously. I had a job and they put me on bed rest. They said, don't move, you know, don't do anything. Just rest in bed. And this was like 30 weeks. And of course, being the busy body that I am, I didn't listen. And of course, that was another reason for me to carry this. Intense uh, amount of guilt for years thereafter. But anyway, a very normal delivery. I had her a full term. At 40 weeks, I was induced because the doctor said my fluid level is too low and we need to get her out ASAP. I went into the hospital. I, my eye was not dilated at all. Looking back, I can only imagine like what type of trauma that did to my body, like just trying to get a baby out vaginally when you're not ready, um, it just really takes a toll on your body. But I didn't know it was my first time, so I went in. I was in the most painful, painful like labor, long labor process that was like two two days long. Some of the biggest, like the biggest part of my, um, like the worst part of my contraction it was so painful that I was so sure I was gonna die. Epidural wasn't doing anything. Like there was no pain meds. I just remember that birth experience being my most difficult and the most traumatizing experience. And I'm going to talk about this later, but my fourth baby, I had her naturally without any meds. And that was a very positive birth experience. So as you can see, like I experienced a really traumatic birth with, you know, a lot of like, tear and down there and just a lot of like trauma to my body. I was swollen. I was just in like, I kicked off this postpartum journey in the worst condition, even though I was young. And recently, my fourth baby, I was older, but it was like the most positive and most natural Just a really joyful, even though it was hard, just my my mental, like my mind and my heart was just full of joy. So I'm really excited and I'm also very grateful to one day be able to share with you guys like the difference between my um, various, like my different labor and delivery experiences. So anyway, back to the story, normal delivery, everything was good. I was a first time mom, so of course things were hard but you know, nothing that I thought was out of ordinary. I kind of assumed that motherhood was supposed to be hard, but I didn't realize just how hard it was. Oh my goodness. If I look back to like that first six months of having um, a baby, I was like 23 years old. I remember the feelings of just being so lost. My baby's crying nonstop. I don't know how to soothe her you know, like you just really panic. Now a baby cries. I'm like, oh, like just by hearing my daughter's cry, I know if she's hungry. I know if she's just tired or if she's just being a baby. But back then I lacked the experience to like read her cues and her cries, So that was hard. So um, everything was fine. You know, it was hard, but you know, nothing major, you know, I was okay. I had A lot of help from my mom at the time because she knew that I was a new young mom, so she helped me a lot. And around six months, she never crawled. And even then, I didn't really know the difference because she was my first baby. And then at one year, she never walked or she never really held herself up. So I took her to her one year, first year well baby checkup. And the pediatrician was concerned that her muscle tone, her gross motor skills, were just very low. They're trained, so she knew. I think she she saw that as an indicator of something alarming. So she referred me to a local regional center, and that's when the entire journey began. Even then, the guy was kind of clueless, and I think I was just like, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know anything to really be worried. So you go to the regional center, they run these tests, and she qualified for her very first occupational therapy service. I had no idea what that is. Really, until this point, I had absolutely no knowledge or experience of any, and like, I didn't know anyone who had a disability. It's not in my family. It wasn't around me. And to be completely honest, I never paid attention. To disabled people because it wasn't part of my story. It's not like I wasn't interested. I never cared to know more because it never affected my life. So this, you know, my my own daughter having these issues was like a huge awakening, like a wake-up call. And as um, I would learn years thereafter, there's so many people who struggle with various degrees of disability and it just you know, I feel bad that I didn't realize that sooner. And that's part of the reason why I really embrace my daughter as such a huge blessing in my life, because she really opened my eyes to the real life struggles that people face daily in this world. Anyway, I found out when she was one. And then from then on, the services began So we'll have um, various people like therapists and supervisors, they'll come, they'll ask me questions. Oh my gosh, so much paperwork. I cannot handle, like there was so much paperwork to fill out. And if you're out there, you know, going through the same thing, you know, God bless your heart. I totally understand how hard that is. I mean, there was so much paperwork, so many tests. And, you know, usually this is a, a mom's job. So I did that and it was so overwhelming. And, you know, they'll give me little tips and tricks. Hey, try this, like bouncing them on a ball. Or here's like a brush that you use to brush their arms or their bottom of their feet for sensory things. Like I, none of it made sense to me. I had no idea what I was doing. I was willing to learn, but it was such a, like such a confusing time of my life. And as you guys know, I'm a reader. So I bought whatever books I can buy Like, I bought books like The Late Talker. I also bought a book. It's about the Einstein syndrome, which I honestly realize now it can oftentimes give people false hope. But I thought, wait, is my daughter a genius? Like, is she, like, so, like, different that she's not talking? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are kids who... Speak late because they're exceptionally bright, but um, I would never recommend any parent to take that wait and see approach. Um, If your child is delayed in any way, please get them checked out and do something about it um, as soon as possible because early intervention is key. During that time, my emotions were obviously just a lot of guilt, shame. I felt really sad. I had to go through um, a lot of grief. Um, I had to be okay with the fact that my daughter could never do these things that other kids were doing so effortlessly. I remember, uh was it like, I think it was my daughter's first birthday. And there was a little, I didn't have a lot of friends at the time with babies. I was the very first one to have a baby. And I remember one of the tiny guests, uh, she waved to me. I think she was she said, Hey, bye. The mom was like, Hey, okay, wave at your auntie, say bye. And then this little girl waved at me. I remember feeling so sad at that moment because my daughter couldn't wave. And I remember thinking, wow, that kid knows how to wave. Like, what's wrong with my daughter? Like, I just knew something was different. And then I didn't, you know, I was so lonely because, yeah, my mom was around sometimes. But, you know, you need friends. So I remember I went to my very first play group and it was so, like, it was like a traumatic experience. No one talked to me. The moms, like, I guess they all kind of knew each other. Like they moved from one play group to the next and they were from like one community. I was the new girl. You know, my daughter was kind of, and I guess at that time, they didn't really know she was different, but no one was nice to me. No one came up to me and said hi. Like, like no warmth in this group. I remember feeling so out of place. It was worse than high school. So it was really sad. So I think I paid for like seven or eight weeks of the playgroup and I went that one time and I never went back. And, you know, these experiences, I wish I had the maturity, like the communication skill to like come home and like share that with my husband. And my husband had the maturity to like really listen. But at the time he didn't. Like I think he was just in work mode. You know, my job, you know, at least was my job. And I remember just coming home with these very heavy emotions and not really knowing what to do with it. And I think I was pregnant during that time too. Yeah, I think because I got, I got pregnant with my second baby when Elise was about 13 months old. So I was pregnant. So it was just very, very isolating. So pretty much I was just dealing with these things silently alone, uh, which led to my um, postpartum depression. Now looking back, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, you'll, you'll come across a lot of judgmental parents too, because when you, when your child has special needs, They process the world differently. Their tantrums might be longer. They have sensory issues, like with certain lights or sounds or certain situations, they might act out more. Their aggression can come out bigger. Their screams can be louder. They could cry longer. They could be 10 and throw tantrums like a three-year-old. You know, I've gone through that many times. And people might look at you like, what is wrong with your parenting you know, they'll judge you. They don't know what's happening. One time I remember I was at Alberson's and I was with my daughter and we're coming out and she had a full blown tant- tantrum. I don't remember exactly what triggered it, but she was triggered and we're right by the door and she was, I think about 10 or 11, like bigger. And so she kind of just like dropped to the floor. She used to do this a lot. So she dropped to the floor. She was kicking and screaming and I was trying to get her up and some. Mom, like some older lady walked right past by me and she said a mean comment, like, you know, like watch your kid in a public place, like what's wrong with you or something like that. So I think I yelled at her like this, like my daughter has special needs. Okay. Or something. And I think at that point she kind of felt bad, but whatever. She was still a total complete bitch about it. I went to the car. You know, um, my daughter didn't like to, I couldn't really cry in front of my daughter because that would upset her. She's very. In tune, like she's very sensitive to people's emotions. I think because her speech is delayed, she picks up emotions better. So in that way, she's more advanced. So if I ever showed like a negative emotion, like crying, then it'll freak her out. So I would just bite my tongue. I would just, you know, like hold in my tears. And then when nobody's around, I'll just like go in my closet or go in the shower and just cry. And not just cry. I mean, this was like such heavy emotion that just has to come out. And there was a lot of like, God, why me? Why her? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? What does she do? How am I supposed to handle this? I can't do this. A lot of like heavy, heavy emotion that I'm sure some of you guys can agree with or, or relate to. And if you're there, just know that it will get better because right now i'm feeling kind of emotional because i'm going back to that place but i don't really cry like that anymore i don't really feel those intense emotions anymore because i've learned over the years how to manage it better and that's something that i want to share with you guys on a later episode but when i do think about like those days and how isolating and how lonely it was i do still feel very emotional because i i grieve The mother that I was. I I grieve for her and I feel so sad for her. And I feel so sad for my daughter. And I just also feel so sad for so many parents who may be going through this today. But again, just know that you will get through it because honestly, today it's such a blessing. You know, Lisa's such a blessing. And I am so happy that she's my daughter. And I realized because I went right into the story, I didn't get to share with you guys her diagnosis. So her official diagnosis is called SYNGAP1, and it's a gene mutation that causes developmental delay, seizure disorder, autism type of behavior, so autism is one of the traits, speech delay, Find motor difficulties. Pretty much children with Syngap 1 are very, very disabled. Moderate to severe. Like many of them could never talk. Many of them are in wheelchair and many of them just will can never be uh, fully independent. Luckily, and this is like by the grace of God, Elise is on like the more functioning Side of Sennge one, where she can still talk and she smiles, she socializes even though she has autism like behaviors she um loves people, she laughs like she has an amazing time with she loves her friends, her pets, and her family and you know when I see that i my heart breaks for parents whose children have um, the form of autism where they can't connect, because I could only imagine how hard that must be for them. And um, one day, you know, if you guys are out there, please reach out to me because it's my goal to help mothers like that too, who are in this really lonely, helpless place. And I want to invite a guest to um, help those moms with practical tips. So what's really interesting about SYNGAP1 is that it's a very serious and rare condition, but it's not really inherited. There's an official name for it, the de novo mutation. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Pretty much means like it's, you're the first person, the first person to carry it. Um, I think if she has a child, she has a 50% chance of having another child with SYNGAP. Obviously, we don't, you know, we don't think she'll ever get married or have children. We wouldn't feel safe with that. Um, she will have to live under our supervision for the rest of her life, which we are totally, you know, happy to do that. Of course, I'm always worried about her future, but you know, that's something that I'm going to have to learn to deal with. And, you know, I'm still learning because every stage of her um, life comes with new challenges and new testings and new things that we need to deal with. But as of today, she is 15 years old. As of today, she is in a moderate to severe special ed class. When she was in elementary school, she was in a mild to moderate class, which worked out really great. She had some amazing teachers. And you know, when the child is young, even though she was academically low, because she was socially higher, she was able to adapt. So she had peer models. So even though she was on the lower end academically, like she fit in because she still had her friends and socially she was good. The problem with that, um, kids like that is when they move on to junior high or high school, now it's becoming really academic and it's not really about socialization anymore at school. So because of that reason, we decided to put her in like a moderate to severe special ed class, which turned out to be a bad decision because her middle school years were so challenging. I talked about it, you know, many times on through my IG story, but You know, we just had uh, so many issues, behavioral issues at school, and it was just a really, really rough time for her. But, you know, to be fair, um, many teachers and parents tell me that being 13 or being in seventh grade is a hard time for any kid, regardless um, whether or not they have special needs or not. So I do think her age had a lot to do with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, the fact that she has special needs does make things harder so I can't completely ignore that. So she's in a, a special ed class. She's in all types of, you know, she gets all the services available, occupational therapy, speech therapy, ABA. Um, she has private speech therapy two times a week. She has private ABA services, which means like the teachers come to our home and they help her with functional life skills in the home, like folding her clothes or brushing her teeth or making her bed you know that type of stuff till this day like today she's 15 years old but I still help her with her bath her daily self-care changing all of that stuff like she can do it and she wants to do it but you know when it comes to hygiene I would just want to make sure it's done right so I wouldn't be able to say okay you know go brush your teeth or wash your hair and just leave it at that I would have to do it for her it's funny because our bath, her bath time is like one of my favorite times with her and she really enjoys it too. So I'll be in there. I'll wash her hair and I wash her body. And we just chat. That's like our mother daughter time. I know it might sound kind of weird for you know, other normal 15, typical 15 year old girls and their moms. But for us, like that's our bonding time. And I expect to do that, have to do that for her until she's older, just to make sure her hygiene is good. Same thing with brushing teeth and that type of stuff. Even with ABA today, she learns how to fold her clothes, how to organize her clothes, how to make her bed, how to make simple things like peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like all these things that we take for granted, all the things that we can do naturally, like no one had to teach us how to do those things. She needs to be taught. And that's why I say she is my life teacher because through her, I learned that there are so many things that people take for granted And when you really like open your eyes and look around, for example, when you look at these children with disability, you realize just how much, how how blessed we are. You know, just the fact that I'm sitting here, I can talk to you guys through this microphone, that I can process my thoughts. I'm able to deliver those thoughts into words and share is such a blessing. And I want you guys to remember that um, when times get hard, if you guys can see, if you guys can walk, if you guys can even talk, process your thoughts and just talk. If you're not getting, you know, five seizures a day, you are blessed. So, you know, like that, again, like even though I was kind of like thrown into this world of postpartum depression through Elise, she is also the reason that pulled me out of it. And I just feel like all of these, these things happened in my life for a reason. And that's why I'm here today sharing this story. So um, that's pretty much what I wanted to share with you guys regarding her there might be more I don't know I'm just kind of like just talking to you guys So if you guys have questions regarding like specifics please um, reach out to me I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that I'm recording this before like my podcast is officially launched so I'm thinking email is a good way I'll leave those things that all the information on my show notes you can always reach out to me on instagram or via email, leave a comment and I'm hoping to get more feedback. So I know, you know, what, what kind of things you guys are interested in knowing so that I can help you guys. Okay. So with that said, so now I wanted to share with you guys how to overcome the hardship of having a special needs child or really any child with learning challenges and how you can best help, and advocate for your child. Number one is start early. You have to start early. And this is not the time to be optimistic or to take that wait, like wait and see approach. And if you talk to your mom or grandma or your cousin, if they're not familiar, they might say like, don't worry, kids grow out of it. And I was told that many times. But you know, I mean, hopefully that is your story. But if it's not, that's not right approach. Regardless of whether your child grows out of it or not, I think it's always best to start early because at the end of the day, like if your child, you know, has speech therapy or occupational therapy or ABA and grows out of it, like that's great. That's not going to affect the child's future. I think one of the worst advice I got as a special needs parent was like everything that you do is going to stay on your child's record forever. So be careful of what services you agreed to, which is the biggest bullshit. I like, don't ever follow that. I completely disagree with that advice. So who cares if it stays on their paper? If it's something that's going to help your child and benefit them, it's okay. So I personally believe starting early is key because studies after studies show that early intervention is key to helping these children. Number two is accept and grieve. You have to allow yourself time to accept and grieve your new reality. Once you have a diagnosis, whatever that looks like, you know, you're going to have so many emotions, very complex, difficult, and heavy emotions, and just know that it's okay. Like to think that your child may never learn or talk or function or live like other kids, it's a really, really difficult pill to swallow. And it's really hard to deal with as a parent. I had to go through that process. And trust me, it was one of the hardest, hardest realities to accept. But it does get easier and you will come out of it stronger than before. I am a living proof of that. So, you know, please accept your new reality or the diagnosis and grieve it. Uh, which means, you know, you're gonna have to cry a lot. I cried so much. Like, I can't even tell you guys how, how much I cried. And that's okay. You have to cry. You have to cry. You have to be sad. You have to be angry. If you have to be angry at God or whoever, you know, that's okay. As long as you come back, you have to come in contact with other special needs parents. You can, um, regional center normally has great resources. Sometimes they have these weekly meetings. You might meet other parents at your child's schools. Um, just just connect and reach out. You guys can share resources. Like the speech therapy center that my daughter goes to now that she's been going to for 10 years. No, no, no. It's like, yeah, 10, 10 11 years. We were actually... We found out about that place through one of her, Elisa's friend's parents. So other parents are the most valuable resources. So make sure you take advantage of that. Reach out to them. And uh, I highly recommend therapy. Therapy helped me a lot because when your child has special needs, it's time to work on yourself. It's time to work on all the heavy shit. And this might, this may or may not have anything to do with your child. You just have to work on yourself because to raise a special needs child, it takes an exceptionally strong person. And I'm not saying like all parents have to be strong, but when your child has a disability, you're going to have very unique challenges. And to be able to overcome that, you have to work on yourself, meaning you need to just heal your old childhood wounds and you need to um, heal from all those other, you know, issues that you had to deal with growing up. And for me, like going to therapy through lease helped me so much that I can honestly say I healed a lot, like most of my heavy stuff in my 30s, which I think is a huge blessing because I know there are people that carry these into their 60s and 70s or some people like never resolve it until the time of death. So I am so blessed that I had this opportunity to really dig deeper into my myself and my past and my soul and my present and to carve out a better future for myself and my family. And all of that was, it was made possible through my daughter. So please reach out to somebody, go to therapy and work on yourself. And I wanted to like read you guys this like quote that I wrote on one of my blog posts. I wrote, the universe or God is giving you a chance to grow into a better, stronger and more loving human being. Embrace it, be proactive and courageous. You can do this. Trust me, you can do this. You are given such a special and important and beautiful role in life you will love it. It may be hard at times, but it will be great. And this is another um, very important, important advice as you go through this journey is you have to be respectful, but firm. And this is whether you're in a meeting, an IEP meeting, or you're talking to a specialist, a geneticist, whoever it is that's making recommendations or plans for your daughter or for your son, you have to be respectful, but you got to be firm in your decision. Don't ever be rude. And I think this applies mostly in IAP meetings, because IAP meetings can be really difficult. And you might have trouble getting the services you want for your child. And that might really make you upset. And you know, um, it's so easy to just say screw you guys, but don't be rude or aggressive. But you have to be assertive and firm. There's a difference. Like there's nothing wrong with you fighting for your child's rights. They're not going to think you're crazy. You need to fight. Never take no for an answer. You have to be assertive and you have to be firm. And if you have to say no, I don't agree with that. Let me do some research and come back to you. That's totally okay. And just know that a lot of their job, and when I say this, usually it's not the teachers, but more admin or the supervisors, administrators, their job is to offer you a pre-existing solution. And oftentimes, and I hate to say this, but their job is to say no. Like They say no to most parents. You just have to see it that way but you don't have to take that no for an answer. And when they know that you're the parent that's going to continue to fight, like do your research and advocate, then at that point they'll say, okay, this parent is not going, she's not going away, so let's see. And they're going to be willing to talk more because you have so many rights as a, a parent of a disabled child. And, you know, you can always file a grievance. There is always the next step solution uh, another um, organization or another person to go to when if you don't agree with their decision so don't ever take their no for an answer So to do this most efficiently and most effectively, and to truly advocate for your child, you have to research and educate yourself. And these are some ways you can do so. You have to read through the Notice of Procedural Safeguards. This is a packet that they give you at every IEP meeting that they make you sign for. I must have gotten like, I don't know, like 10, no, like a 100 copies of them. But you have to read through them. Because that contains all the information about what you can do if you don't agree, where, where you can go to file a grievance, the next steps, and all of that good stuff. You have to familiarize yourself with IDEA, I-D-E-A, and that stands for Individuals with Disability Educational Act. And this is essentially a law that ensures services for children with disability throughout the nation. And you have so many rights. The, the children have so many rights. So make sure you become familiar with that. And always contact your local regional center. They will help you get started with everything from testing to services to advocacy, um, finding support groups and all of that stuff. And they'll assign a caseworker to you. And not all caseworkers are good. Some have been good and some have been bad. So there has been times where I had to contact the supervisor and request them to change my caseworker because I didn't feel that my caseworker was working for my daughter. And that's okay. That's part of your job as a parent. Um, read through rights law. That's rights with a W, W, R, I, G, H. TS law, it's a special education law. Um, Also look for support, local support groups of special needs parents. And there are a few books and you know, links that I will will share on the show notes. And I also have blog posts on my um, blog, mommy-diary.com on this. So if you need more information, then please refer to that. And I will be sure to leave some important links on the show notes. Five, you have to learn as much as you can about your child's diagnosis, um, meaning you have to, you know, read through it. There's so many different research available. What's great is, you know, we have all the information right at our th- fingertips. Google is great, but I also like referring to a book because the um, information there tends to be a little more credible I want to say a little more but I think with online research it's really hard to know like which is really accurate so make sure you get a good idea like make sure you look deeper into who is publishing that information and Know that a diagnosis and nothing is nothing more than a label at the time, and that can also always change. So for example, the very first diagnosis Elise got was hypotonia, which means low muscle tone. And that's all they can say at the time because she was still too young, she was one, and it was just too premature for them to find anything else at the time. Then her diagnosis was, was apraxia of speech, which means, um, you know, this child is just, her speech is uh, delayed in different ways. And then, of course, like the very loose term, global developmental delay, which is a very um, obje- uh, generic umbrella term for your child is, you know, delayed in many areas across the board. But again, you know, these diagnoses can change. It's not until like five years later, when I discover that her official genetic condition was called SYNGAP. And what's so interesting is that SYNGAP is so new. It was coined in like 2009, I believe, which means that before Elise, like these kids were never even properly diagnosed. So again, know that the diagnosis is nothing more than a label. It can change, but it is important for you to learn as much as you can about it. And lastly, you have to learn how to deal with high stress situations. This is so important, mamas, because if you if your child has um, a different need, whether it's a mild, moderate, or severe, you will face many high stress situations and you will need to find healthy ways to manage those moments. Which means again, you have to go to therapy. You have to work on yourself because oftentimes when we are really angry at our children or we have like an anger issue or, you know, things come up as you raise your children, most likely that means there are unresolved issues in yourself. Like healed parents raise healed children. If the parents not healed, then you're going to pass that on to your children, unfortunately. And it's just a generational cycle. I'm sure often you find yourselves like doing things that you said you'll never do that things that you hated about your parents, and you find yourself doing it to your own children, which is very normal. But that means you need to work through some things, I highly recommend therapy. And I am going to dedicate an entire episode about how and when to find the right therapist. And I will have um, a qualified therapist come on and share her insight. So make sure you tune into that. You also need to learn how to like really go within, like tune out the outside noise, the distractions. You really have to go deep through Elise. I've learned this where no matter what, even if the world is crumbling around me and I'm not even exaggerating, I feel like I've like found this inner zen where I just go in, I just close my eyes and I go deep within myself and I can still, I can find calm and peace wherever I am. At the time of recording this, we're in middle of like COVID-19 pandemic. And honestly, while, you know, like the outside mind, my egoic mind was stressed, like I knew deep down inside that things are going to be okay. And everything that is happening is exactly what's meant to happen. Like through Elise, I've learned this, this peace, um, this place of Zen, like this stillness um, that I can never lose. Like this peace is with me at all times, no matter what happens. And I'm so thankful that I, I discovered this and you too can discover this. So the best way you can find this inner peace that no one can take away, that no situation, no stressful situation can take away is having a strong relationship with God, um, whatever your God looks like, and having a deep, rich sense of spirituality. That helped me a lot. Um I definitely dug a deep when I was dealing with a lot of my deep, heavy, complex, messy emotions of raising a daughter like Elise. Um it led to other struggles just in my personal life, my self-esteem, my marriage life, and I really needed to find solace and a deeper meaning in why this um was happening. And God and religion was definitely a big part of it. I grew up in a very religious home. My mom is a devout Catholic. My parents still are. My dad was always very active in the church community. And so I always knew my prayers and I read the Bible. I grew up, you know, going to Sunday school every Sunday. So it was not far from me. But when you are a mom dealing with these, you know, brand new issues, issues that you've never that you were never trained to deal with, it's still new, and you're an adult now, Um, it hits different. And I remember during that time, I went to church. I'll just go into a nearby local church. I'll sit there. Um, at a Catholic church, there is a place called uh, Eucharist. Uh, it's a place where you can do Eucharistic adoration. It's essentially a small room. Just sit there. So I'll just sit there in silence and have a, you know, talk with God. I'll sit there sometimes with the book, um, with the spiritual book. Sometimes I'll sit there with the Bible, with a certain verse that I resonate with. And I spent a lot of time doing that. What really helped me was um, community as well. I signed up for multiple like courses. I joined a course called Alpha with my husband. I went to a marriage retreat called Retrovi with my husband. I also was involved in a, a women's uh, retreat. It's a group called Christillo, which was very, very meaningful and impactful. And, you know, um, it helped me a lot. It really kept me focused and it really kept me dedicated to just spending time with God. And I know that had a big part to my healing. And um, now I am not as actively involved but I always know the value of a church community. These days I've just been you know having maintaining my close relationship with God and I feel that I'm kind of at this place where I'm always at peace with my relationship with God. I can reach out and communicate with him wherever I'm at and I'm very thankful to be here and that really helps me through my roughest days like this week was hard with Elise. Um, Her emotions are huge you know she's a teenager now so her emotions can be very big and her tears are big her cries are loud and she's a big girl so it's harder for me to like control her and at times like that you know it, it's 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 still rough but at the end of the day like I always go to bed feeling grateful I always know okay Angela like you did a good job that was another day it's hard sometimes don't get me wrong my poor husband has to sometimes hear how hard my day was but you know part of that is marriage you know sometimes you just have to vent and let out your frustrations and your emotions and who can better understand you and be there for you but your spouse and that's part of marriage and um in addition to going deep within and finding a very close personal relationship with God, I also believe it's very important to have a strong, have a life, like have a strong sense of identity and your own personal space outside of your spouse and your children, because that's what's going to allow you. Um, everyone needs their own space, no matter who you are, especially when you have a lot of lot on your plate. I don't want to call it a burden, but in a way it is because you do have to do a lot more to nurture another soul. That means you have to fill your own love tank and no one can really do that for you but yourself. So on the hardest days, you know, I try to look for God in the situation. I look for God in my child. I see God in her eyes Always. And there are times when I can't find God in that situation. Then I'll ask him, my God, please help me to see you and your will and your plan in this situation. And you know what? It passes every time it passes. And when it passes, Elise looks at me and says, mom, I'm sorry. And I tell her, you know, I'm, I'm sorry too. And she says, I love you. And I'm so thankful that she could say, I love you because there are children out there who can't even say that. So, you know, let's be kind to other moms. We don't know what what battle they're going through, whether it's a miscarriage or, you know, having a special needs child or being in an abusive relationship or, you know, coming from an abusive childhood. We don't know another person's battle. And I think the most important thing is just to work on ourselves so that we can help other people. Like the more healed we are, the better we can be there for our sisters and our community. So that is it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will be back again next week with another great topic that I hope you guys will enjoy. As always, I would love your feedback on what you like, what you don't like, or not really what you don't like, but you know what you'd like to see more of because even if you personally don't resonate with a certain episode, I know that there's someone else out there does so please you know be patient for another sister in our community who may hear something different from my episodes i hope that we can all have the grace and the love for each other and thank you so much for being here i love you and i will talk to you next week you are my sunlight Thanks so much for listening to Mommy Diary, the podcast. If you can relate to any of my stories, my hope is that you leave this episode feeling a little less alone and a lot more inspired. For more parenting and lifestyle stories, head over to my blog, mommy-diary.com or join me on Instagram at Mommy Diary. If you're loving this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a 5-star review. I love connecting with you, so send me a DM and let me know what you'd like to hear next.